podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Thursday, the 7th of July, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from. So UK expats wanting BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, all four, you can get that. Irish expats wanting RTE Player, you can get that. And... Most importantly, you'll keep your data safe. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. And if you go to Liberty Shield right now and use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, you can get 25% off either the hardware package or the software package. So the hardware package is a router. Just post it out to you, shipping worldwide. Easy to set up, easy to use. The software package is instantly downloadable to your device. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 25% off at checkout. Right, folks, it is a busy day in the world of the Premier League. Signings are being announced. Leeds United have confirmed the signing of Luis Sinistera, the Colombian winger from Feyenoord. I love this signing for them. I think he's an outstanding player with huge potential to develop. He'll give them an added goal threat. He's direct. He's aggressive. He's inventive. He scores spectacular goals. I think Leeds fans are going to love him. He's not a direct replacement for Rafinha because he's a right-footed left winger as opposed to the left-footed right winger that Rafinha is. I don't think it's a given that Rafinha will leave. I think it's possible that he'll stay one more season and then go to Barcelona because he doesn't seem keen on the Chelsea move. He didn't seem keen on the Arsenal move. And I wonder if he'd rather just wait and get that move to Barcelona next summer if that's when Barca have their finances in order and can sign him. So it wouldn't be a surprise if Leeds were able to roll out him on one wing and Sinistera on the other. And that could be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Yesterday, Leeds confirmed the signing of Tyler Adams. Again, I really like that for them. I think him and Mark Roca is a really good, strong pairing in midfield. They needed Adams to come in once Calvin Phillips moved on to Manchester City. Sinistera, I wouldn't have said they needed a left winger because they had Jack Harrison, they had Dan James, Rodrigo could play there, but I can see the sense in this move and maybe they're looking at it like it's tough to find a good backup striker Maybe we'll just use Rodrigo in that role this season because we've got Brendan Aronson and Jack Harrison who can now play 
in the number 10 position, we've got a bunch of options on the right if Rafinha stays, and we've got a bunch of options on the left. So that's possible. They are still being strongly linked with Charles de Ketelier, and if they add him, I would assume that would mean Rafinha has left. But de Ketelier can play everywhere in that front four. So he can be your starting nine, your backup nine, your starting ten. He can play off the right. He can play off the left. He's a really talented player. I like what Leeds are doing this year. Um, it's an improvement on the approaches that they've taken in previous years. Nottingham Forest, obviously, yesterday confirmed the addition of Musa Niakate from Mines, big, powerful, rangy centre-back, who is more dynamic and more of a ball carrier than the previous options. So he could play in the middle of their back three with Worrell to his right, McKenna to his left, or I think this might be more likely. He'll play on the left of the back three and Scott McKenna will step across one into that middle role. Uh, we're still waiting on Brentford to announce the signing of Aaron Hickey, but it looks like that one should happen. Fulham been strongly linked to a bunch of clubs. We'll come more to the gossip and the rumours uh, later on in today's podcast. What we're going to do now is listeners' questions, because it is Thursday, and on Thursday we do listeners' questions. That's just what we do on the Two-Footed Podcast. So we have a question from Justin Mikado. Uh, he says, thinking ahead to the World Cup in 2026, which nations do you believe will end up in the final four spots? What possible dark horses and teams that may surprise or be a bit of a joy to watch? So let's address the final four first. I think France are a very safe bet. When you take a look at the talent, and take a look at the track record, you look at the age profile of that squad, they've won a World Cup. They're probably the favourites to win it again this year. And come 2026, I mean, Kylian Mbappe is still only going to be, what, 27 years of age? Kanate will be 27 years of age. Kunde will be the same kind of age. Teo Hernandez will be in his late 20s, but still in his prime years. You're going to have Usman Dembele in his prime years, Christopher Nkunku in his prime years, a mid-20s, Musa Diaby. Like, there's just so much talent in that, like Chuameni, Kamavinga. Kamavinga will only be 23 in four years. And that guy by then might be the best midfield player on the planet. So I think France are a very safe bet. I think England are a good bet. Again, take a look at the age profile. I think Dean Henderson is England's best goalkeeper. He's 25. He'll be 29 by that World Cup and should, should have four years' experience as a first-choice goalkeeper running into that World Cup. So he should have established himself by then. May also be that Joseph Bursic takes a big step forward or someone else appears, Etienne Green perhaps, takes a leap, develops, joins a club in the Premier League and really kicks on. So goalkeeper, they're going to be in good nick. We know the right-back options are incredible, but Trent, come 2026, is only going to be 28 years of age. So, you know, him, Reese James, James Justin, there's just loads and loads of great options there. Uh, Chilwell, James Justin, players of that at left-back, again, will be, you know, late 20s, so in their prime. 
Same thing at centre-back for Kyle Tamore, Joe Gomez, Ezri Konza, uh, Mark Guehi. Maybe Tosin has gotten a look by then, or maybe he's gone elsewhere to play for a different national team. But England will have centre-backs in their prime, playing at good clubs, playing regularly. Midfield, you'll have a 26-year-old Declan Rice, a 23-year-old Jude Bellingham. You'll have Phil Foden in his mid-20s. Uh, and in attack, you'll have Bakayo Saka, Jaden Sancho, and so on and so forth. The only one they'd really have to replace is Harry Kane. I don't see Kane still being first choice in four years' time. But, you know, Calvin Phillips will still only be 30, so he'll be a midfield option. I think it's going to be a really strong England squad by then. And obviously, there's just so much more talent pouring through now. Uh, we'll see what happens with the likes of Carney Chukwameka. We'll see what happens with Harvey Elliott, Charlie Patino at Arsenal, Emile Smith-Rowe. I didn't even mention Mason Mount and all the immense talent like Levi Colwell coming through the Chelsea Academy. So Harvey Vale could well have established himself in the England squad. It's a very exciting time if you're an England fan. So I think they're two good options. I would say Germany, potentially. Um I think there's a bit of a need at centre-back, but Rom has really kicked on this year as a left-back option. Schlotterberg uh, has established himself as a centre-back option. Um, Ridley Baku might be the right-back. You'll need a centre-back. You might have to find a goalkeeper because Der Stegen has taken such a step back that he's probably not going to be the one you'll want to replace Manuel Nauer. But once you get into midfield, you'll have Joshua Kimmich in his prime or at kind of the tail end of his prime. You'll still have Leon Goretzka. You'll have Jamal Musiala will have established himself, I think, as probably one of the 10 to 15 best players in the world, as I expect Florian Wirtz to do. You'll have Nabry. You'll have Kai Havertz should be an absolute weapon by then. And you will have Leroy Sane plus other youngsters to appear. So, that's going to be a really strong team as well. So I'd pencil the Germans in. And I think you, it's always a safe bet to look at Brazil because when you really start to dig down into it, we know about Vinicius, we know about Rodrigo and what he could be. Um, Gabriel Jesus, you'd hope in four years, a better player than he is now because he'd have been playing regularly at club level. Uh, Richarlison should have kicked on by then. He'll be getting really good coaching for the first time in his career. Now that he's joined Spurs to play under Antonio Conte, you know, Edna Militao should have stepped on and, and really developed. I think there's a, a litany of talented Brazilian midfielders who by then should have established themselves as first choice. And the one that I really, really like the one that I think has been so important in their back-to-back um, Copa Libertadores wins and I think is, is obviously playing a key role again this year is Danilo. I think he's outstanding. Um, but you've also got like this Endrick kid meant to be super talented. We know that City have snapped up a few really talented young Brazilians like Kai and that. So You'd expect all of them to, excuse me, to, you know, be really contributing heavily at that point. Marquinhos will only be 32, so he'll likely be the captain at that point. 
Um, Gabriel from Arsenal should have stepped on his development, should have become as what he's going to be in four years' time in his peak. Uh, Lucas Paquette will be 28. Bruno Gomerich will be 28. And again, I think he's one with... We've, we've seen what he's done at, at, at Newcastle already, and I, I think he's got sky-high potential. Um, Matthias Cunha, Gabriel Martinelli... There's just a lot of really... Renan Lodi will be 28, so he'll be in his peak years. You just expect that he'll be a, one of the left-back options. Douglas Louise, Artur, Gerson from Marseille, these could all be heavily contributing players. Anthony will be 26. Rafinha will still be very much in the mix. Um, Anthony Cabral is, is a striker to keep an eye on at Fiorentina. They signed him to replace... Dusan Vlahovic, when he moved on, now he had a slow start in his first half season, but he was outstanding for Basel. In his three years there, 18 in 39, 20 in 36, 27 in 31, in half a season, 27 in 31, including 13 in 12 in European competition. Now, it wasn't the Champions League, but still, that's impressive. He's one to keep an eye on. And the one I really like, the Brazilian forward that I really like, that I think everybody should be keeping a close eye on, is Evan Nielsen at Porto. Just keep an eye on him, because last season he got 21 goals in 46 games in all competitions, 14 in 30 in the league. I'm expecting him to go to 25 in the league this coming season and potentially get as many as 35, 40 across all competitions. 22 years of age, massive talent. Keep an eye on him. Um, so, yeah, they'd be my four. I think Spain could be in that mix as well, obviously. You'd never write off Argentina. There's a really, really talented Uruguayan team starting to take shape underneath the last days of the Suarez, Cavani, Diego Godin team there's a really gifted uh uruguayan team being put together but maybe not final four but certainly a last eight team uh but they'd be my four france germany england and brazil um dark horses uruguay i think always overlooked Depending on, on who else they can sort of, I, I don't want to say rob because that's not the right word, but I think the, the Ghanaian team is starting to look really exciting. You've got Salisu. He is committed now to playing for the national team. Tariq Lamptey has made the decision that he's going to play for them. Um, Inaki Williams he's going to play his brother may also make that decision and then there's a lot of talk that Callum Hudson-Odoi could well make the decision that he's going to play for Ghana as well so keep an eye on Ghana Nigeria with Osimian by then in his peak, 
that could be a special team. And Norway are going to be going to be there or thereabouts. They're going to have Haaland and Odegaard and a litany of other very talented players. Norway are one to keep an eye on. In terms of who will be exciting to watch, I do think that Ghanaian team could be really fun. I do really think it could be a lot of fun to watch that Ghanaian team, especially if Hudson Adoy makes the decision, which he should do because he's not going to get England caps. Um, not well, look, he could very easily move clubs and get himself back in form. But when I look at that Ghanaian team, uh, issue Isahaku, the young midfielder at Sporting, massive talent. Mohamed Kudus at Ajax, massive talent. Kamaldeen Sulemana, massive, massive talent. Possibly the most talented of all of them. Add in Lamptey, add in Salisu. There's already some real talent there to be excited about. I think Ghana are the African team to watch. And I think the, the Right to Dream Academy and Mithiland, I think they're the pathway for a lot of these Ghanaian players to really get the right moves and make sure their careers go the right way. But Suleimana, Kudus, Isahaku, Lamptey and, Sali- and Salisu, I mean, that's five starters that guarantee you to be a good team. Whatever else you put around them, you're pretty much guaranteed to be a good team just with that group. And if they can continue to develop the other positions, it's going to be it's going to be really, really good. So they're my team to watch in terms of I think they could be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so that's that. Uh, moving on then. All-time Werder Bremen 11 versus all-time Schalke 11. A Schalke 11. Let me think. Let me get, get myself an old piece of paper to write this out on. So Schalke 11. Manuel Nauer, you'd imagine, would have to be the goalkeeper. I didn't look at this beforehand, so let's see. I'm going to try and pick this based on players that I've seen, not players from, you know, decades and decades ago that I'm not really aware of. Um, so that's that's the basis that we'll go on. So for that reason, Klaus Fichtel, the record appearance maker, he's not making the cut because I didn't see him play. But Olaf Thone, I did see play. He was very, very good. Um, could play in midfield, could play as a sweeper. I preferred him in midfield. Uh, so he'll be in. Andreas Muller. They had both Andreas Muller's there, didn't they? They had the holding midfielder one. 
and they had the one who was at Dortmund. He also played for Schalke, did he not? Did he not? He did, three years. I think he's got to be in. So we'll put him in as a, as a 10. We're basing this on what they did at Schalke as well. So Leroy Sané, like, again, I'm basing it on what I've seen. So Sané will be in. I'm going to put Draxler in because he was really good there. I'm going to go Huntelaar up front. So I've got my front four. Um, I'm going to put the other Muller and Tone, Olaf Tone in midfield. Uh, in defence, I'm going to go Benedict Tawides, obviously. And his best partner while he was there was Joel Matip. So we'll go with Joel. Um, fullbacks. Eigenrock was good. Hmm. Let's see. Go Eigenrock at right back and left back is always a pain in the backside. I might take Matayan Nastasic. Not great options here. Not great options here. We'll just go with Nastasic. And we'll go with Eigenrock Eigenrock at right back. So that's that. Uh, I'm just going to say now that my Werder Bremen 11 will be superior. Because, well, Werder are just a better club. Just a better club with better players. Um, So. Dieter else will absolutely be in this team as the man who inspired me to start following further Bremen. Um, now to build a team around him is the important thing here. So Marco Boda will be in there as well. One club man, really important player for Werder and for Germany Torsten Frings is he my third midfielder he might be yeah yeah yes so we're going to play Fring Frings else and Boda Frings right else central Boda left hard working uh, midfield for us None of this, none of this fancy stuff. Uh, Frank Bauman will have to be in the team uh, at centre-back, no doubt. Ten years at the club, massively important. And still performing an important role 
is the uh, sporting director at the minute. He hasn't done a great job, but you know, we 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 move, we move. Um, my front three, Naldo's in. Obviously, Naldo's unfortunate not to make the. Um, Unfortunate not to make the Schalke team as well, but he was just better for us than he was for them. And, and Joe Matip is a better player, but Naldo's in. Uh, my front three pretty much picks itself. I'm looking for fullbacks. Oliver Reck was the goalkeeper when I started watching them. So I probably have to go with him. So I wouldn't. I was never a fan of Tim Vice. The fact that he's a wrestler now is is very amusing to me. But um. Oliver Wreck or Frank Rose? Oliver Wreck. Wrecking goal, yeah. Um, fullbacks. Oh, I forgot Per Mertesacker. Bamman's going to have to just shift across. Mertesacker has to be in. Mertesacker has to be in. Far too good not to be. Sebastian Prodel, no. See, Klaus Flichtel played for Schalke, then Werder, then Schalke again, but he's not someone I saw play, uh, so I can't really justify picking him. I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to... I think I'm going to play Andy Herzog there. I know he's more of an attack-minded midfielder, but I always enjoyed watching him play. Yeah, stick him with left back, just give him license to bomb forward. Um, my front three, as I said, picks itself. So, first things first, Diego Ribas, unbelievable to watch. And when he was with Werder, he was just different class, absolutely different class. Uh, won them both cups. That was after he was at Porto and it hadn't really gone well. Werder paid pretty big money to bring him in. He was just sensational. Absolutely sensational. And Juve then came and obviously stole him. Uh, it didn't work at Juve for him and he ends up then at Wolfsburg. But yeah, he's he's got to be in the team because he's maybe the best player I've seen play for the club. 
And then the other one to give me my second playmaker at Mesut Ozil. So it has to be Mesut Ozil. Just incredible. The most fun I've had watching Werder was that 08-09 season. You had Diego and Ozil together and they were just ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. And my striker has to be Claudio Pizarro because he was the beneficiary of all of their brilliance. Now, Ailton can feel slighted. He was very fun, very, very fun when he was at the team. But I think I think it has to be this. So I'm going to play Bauman at right back, Herzog at left back, out of position admittedly, but they'll be fine. Uh, Mertesacker and Naldo in the middle. Frings, Els and Boda. It has to be those three. It has to be those three. And then Diego and Osel as dual number 10s behind Claudio Pizarro. There's not a lot of width in this team, <laughs> admittedly. There's not a lot of width at all. But, uh, yeah, our team beats their team. And, um, and the main reason we beat their team is because, well... Mesut also started at Schalke, realized what was up, and made the move to Werder. So, yeah, we win. Um, Isaac Gilding. If Liverpool hadn't signed Nunes this summer, do you think the 16 to 18 vintage of Firmino would have been ideal for that position if it was possible to get him back? People forget how good Bobby was because the rest. It is. People do forget how good Bobby was. And the thing is that when Bobby was great, when Bobby was really at his best, the team wasn't great. The team was good, but they were overachieving with him and Salah and Mane. And Virgil had arrived. It was that kind of 17-18 season. Virgil arrived in the January. But Bobby was just unbelievable in 16-17 and 17-18. Even in the second half of 15-16, Bobby was great. Do I think it would be ideal now? Um, possibly. But if they'd done that, they'd have, they need a midfielder anyway. We know that. I still would have wanted that midfielder, but I would have wanted more of a goal-scoring midfielder, a Bruno Fernandes type. One of my biggest reasons I always wanted Bruno at Liverpool was because I think you need three really reliable goal scorers, and Bobby's not a really reliable goal scorer. So the thinking was, you get Mo, you get Mane, and then you get Bruno arriving from, from deep, and all of them benefit from Bobby. So if we got back a prime Bobby I would want a goal-scoring midfielder in that role. As it is now with Darwin, I want more of an inventive midfielder in that position. So, yeah, look, I, I would absolutely take that version of Bobby. You could, if, if you got that version of Bobby back, though, even with Darwin, that works because he could play as a 10 behind Darwin. Um, Kieran or 9-9, who's the one Liverpool signing you were most excited about but they turned out to be a major disappointment. Harry Kuehl, 
Harry Kuhl. I loved him when he was at Leeds. Absolutely loved watching him play. He was just so gifted. The game came so easily to him. And he looked like he had levels and levels to go up. And then we fight and we've been linked for years. And we finally got him, and it was just a big old flop. Now, look, we still won a European Cup. So, you know, you can't criticize too much. Um, but Harry Kuhl, yeah, I was so excited when we signed him. The one I was gutted we didn't get was Les Ferdinand. We'd been linked to Les Ferdinand for two solid years when he was a QPR. And he was scoring for fun there. Like, he was so aggressive, so good in the air. And it really did look like we were going to be the team to get him. Now, he was a little bit older. Les was late 20s. I think he was nearly 30 when he left. He was. He was 29 when he left for Newcastle. We'd been linked with a move for him for the summer coming up. Um, but they sold Andy Cole and bought Les Ferdinand. And he was great for them. You look at his goal scoring uh, at QPR his last three years there. So in the Premier League era, 20 in 37 in the league, 24 and 42 all competitions, 16 and 36 in the league, 18 in 40 in all competitions, 24 and 37 in the league, 26 and 42 in all competitions. He'd had a really weird career to that point. He was quite late sort of uh, making the breakthrough. He was 23, really, when he got his chance at at, uh, QPR. He'd had a year on loan at uh, Besiktas, where he'd done well. He scored 18 goals in 30 games. But back then, players didn't go on loan to Turkey. It just wasn't what happened. Um, then he went to Newcastle. He gets 25 and 37. And then they signed Shearer, and his goal numbers drop. He gets 16 and 31. But all competitions, he still scored 50 and 84 for them. So for five straight years, he was an absolute weapon. Um, went to Spurs and injuries and age caught up with him. It didn't really work. But yeah, Les Ferdinand, I was gutted we didn't get him. In the end, we got Stan Collymore. Uh, another one I was so excited about signing. Because back then, remember, you only, especially living in Ireland, you only really saw them match of the day. There was no YouTube. There was no, you know, every game being shown. There was no streams, none of that kind of stuff. So all you really saw with Collymore was the highlights. And he was just, he was outstanding. He really was outstanding in that Forest team. Brought them up to the Premier League, hit the ground running, absolutely battered everybody, scored 22 goals, was banging them in from 25 yards, either foot, could beat four players and score, built like a tank, Great pace, looked like he hit everything. Yeah, he, he he was him and him and Kuehl will be the two most disappointing ones. Um, Stan Collymore might be the most disappointing player English football has seen in terms of what he should have been 
and what he went on to be, three England caps. Guy should have had 80. Like when we got him, he was only 24. And he was coming into a team with Fowler, McManaman, McAteer, Redknapp, Barnes, Rob Jones, like loads of players who are going to give you opportunities to score goals. Redknapp's passing, Barnes is passing, McAteer and Jones, endless energy, good delivery from wide areas. McManaman, arguably the best player in the league at the time, and it just didn't didn't go well for me. The, the first season was pretty good, um, but it was all downhill. And he obviously had his had his demons that he was dealing with, and um, it's just it's very unfortunate for Stan. The way his career worked out, he, he should have been so much more. James, if you could go back and make one Liverpool player of the 2000s onwards never have an injury, who would it be? For me, it would be Agar, but I could see arguments for Sturridge or Gerrard. Gerrard's an obvious one. Uh, Stevie had quite a few injuries, but did manage to overcome them for a long run. Um, Studge, yeah, I mean, for sure, the most talented English striker of his generation, without question. Uh, could we could we include Michael Owen here? Because if so, I'd actually say him. Because as, as I've said before, I think Michael Owen had the potential to be the best striker in the world, especially considering Ronaldo had those injuries. Owen was like the next one. And unfortunately, his hamstring exploded and it wasn't the same. But I do love the Agar shout because from a talent leadership, organization, reading the game standpoint. Daniel Agger is the second best centre-back I've seen for Liverpool after Virgil. But he had the million-dollar talent or the £50 million talent in a 50p body, unfortunately. His body just failed him over and over and over again. Um, His back, muscular issues... You know, I mean, like he was retired so early, but he wasn't treated all that well either by Liverpool. But yeah, Daniel Agger would be the one I, I would aim with there. Uh, Stephen Smith sent me a text earlier with, I think, 50 questions. So, but they're all quick, rapid fire. So, um, I have a very short round of quick fire questions, all related to which is the best attribute. For which player has these best attributes in the Premier League? So, best leader. Best leader. I look around the Premier League and I don't see many great leaders on the pitch. I think Jordan Henderson's a great captain off the pitch. I don't think he's a great leader on the pitch. I think Van Dyke is the leader of that team on the pitch. City don't have one, Arsenal don't have any leaders. Nobody at Spurs stands out. Um, as I go down the table, I mean, Cody. Mm, I like Johnny Evans. I think he's. I think he's a strong leader. I don't think there is a standout leader in the Premier League, other than you. Know, each club has a couple, but. They don't necessarily wear armbands. I'll, do you know what? I'll go Thiago Silva. 
Uh, most valuable player if they were to be sold tomorrow. If he didn't have the buyout clause, it would be Erling, Erling Haaland. It may still be Haaland, so I'll just go Haaland. Best short passer is Thiago. Best long passer, I think Trent. Most press resistant, Thiago. Best defensive header of a ball, Virgil. Best offensive header of the ball, Ivan Tony. Tony or Calvert-Lewin? Do you know what? Calvert-Lewin, he can hang in the air a bit better. Best def- defensive awareness or movement is Van Dijk. Best offensive awareness and movement. I think Raheem Sterling. I think his movement is unbelievable. Best left foot, Salah. Best right foot, De Bruyne. Best two-footed, Joe Cancelo. Most versatile defensively is James Justin. Most versatile offensively. Well, that's a good question. I mean, Salah can play all three. I mean, Mikel Antonio is the real answer here because he can play everywhere. I'll go Bakayo Saka because he can play left side, right side. I think he can play off the striker. He can play as an eight and he can play left back. So I'll go Bakayo Saka. Uh, most versatile across the pitch. The answer is not James Milner before anyone even pipes up with it. It's just not James Milner. Um, you have to be good in positions to be considered versatile, in my view. I think it's James Justin. Right back, left back, centre back, centre back in the three, holding midfield, you play wide midfield. Couldn't put him up front, but you know, I'll take the rest. Uh, best shot stopper. De Gea. Yeah, best shot stoppers. De Gea. Best one-on-ones. A goalkeeper, I assume you mean for this, is Alison Becker. Best distribution, you'd have to give it to Ederson. Best command of the area is Alison. Uh, best at coming for crosses. Best at coming for crosses. Ederson's awful. Ali's very, very good in that regard. I think Emmy Martinez. Yeah, it, it, world football it will be Thibaut Courtois, but um, it is, it is Premier League. So I'll go Emmy Martinez as the best at coming for crosses. Um, best team at defending corners. I would say Liverpool. Hard pressed to think of the last time Liverpool conceded a goal from a set piece, but City are great at that as well. Um, oh, I've skipped a bunch. Sorry, that's that's my bad. So, best command of the area was the last one that we'll go with. Our best of crosses will go with Emmy Martinez. Most undervalued defender, James Justin. Most undervalued midfielder, Vitaly Janos at Brentford. Really, really good. Good at, good at everything. Not great at any one thing, but good at everything. Most underrated attacker. I'm inclined to say Patrick Bamford. 
So I think like Yanot, he's good at everything. He's not great at any one thing, but he's good at everything. I think he's overlooked. Yeah, I'll go Patrick Bamford. Uh, most overrated defender. Well, it was Antonio Rudiger, but he's gone now. Um, Ruben Diaz is 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 very overrated. He, like he's a a good centre back. He's he's not a great centre back, but he's a very good centre back. The idea that he was on Van Dijk's level was nonsensical. Um, so in that regard, he's overrated. But I think a lot of that shine came off from last season that people saw. Harry Maguire is the answer here. Harry Maguire has to be the answer here. Uh, most overrated midfielder. Jorginho off the back of that Champions League win was hugely overrated, but Jordan Henderson is the answer. Uh, most overrated attacker, Jack Grealish, by a considerable margin. Most overpaid in terms of wages, Cristiano Ronaldo. Most underpaid, it was Salah. Now I would be inclined to say... I, mean, I'm not, I don't know exactly what he earns, but I didn't be inclined to say Young Min Son. So I think he's absolutely world class. Best in game coach. Conte. Best setup coach, Klopp. But Pep is the best balance of the two. So that's kind of where I put them all on the same level. Uh, best crosser of a ball, Kevin De Bruyne. Best set piece taker. Uh, it's got to be Ward Price. It, it just has to be Ward Price. Best team at defending corners is, is Liverpool. Worst team at defending corners is Leicester City. Leicester City. Worst in-game coach, Brendan Rodgers. Absolutely horrendous. Absolutely. Him or, an, him or Mikel Arteta. They're both awful in-game. Uh, both are decent at setting the team up, but awful. Um, best setup coach, Lampard. Lampard, without a question. Best support, Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace or Newcastle? I go Crystal Palace. The atmosphere is unbelievable. Worst support, um, I'm inclined to say Chelsea because I think the fans are incredibly entitled. Best chairman. suppose whoever the chairman of City is just lets them spend and get on with it and covers up what needs to be covered up. Worst chairman, um, without question, I think it's got to be whichever of Gold or Sullivan is the chairman of of uh, West Ham United. Uh, best sporting director, it was Michael Edwards. I'm now inclined to say Chicky Bergerestein, although, although I do really like couple of others I'll go Bergerstein uh, worst sporting director um, Edu uh, John Murtaugh I'll go John Murtaugh because everything that United have done in years has been a mess a uh, team in most in need of a sporting director uh, Manchester United uh, player most likely to overachieve this season Ooh. overachieve So this is someone, say, doing what 
we saw Jared Bowen do last season where they have like a big glow up that doesn't necessarily fit into the rest of their career. Um, I will go for I'll go for Callum Wilson if he can stay fit. Um, most likely coach to overachieve this year. Potentially Arteta if Chelsea do something stupid and sign a certain Portuguese attacker. Still think they'd get top four, but it could open the door for Chelsea, for Arsenal to sneak in. Um, aside from Arteta, I'm going to say Steve Cooper. Uh, player most likely to underachieve this year. Haaland? I think there's a possibility of it with injuries. It would have to be injuries. Uh, outside of him, Gabriel Jesus. Coach most likely to underachieve this season. Again, the, it's Arteta because that Arsenal thing could go anyway. Uh, teams you want to see struggle. I don't really want to see anyone struggle. I, I enjoy the struggle of Everton from a Liverpool point of view. But I, I would rather see them do well, even though it's funnier to see them do badly. Um, Bournemouth, because I just, I, I, Scotty two quotes winds me up. Um, that's, that's it. Non-Liverpool team you want to see succeed. There's a whole bunch of them. Um, I want. Oh, and to be fair, I'd like to see Leicester struggle a bit because I'd like Brendan to get the boot. So just, I just can't be dealing with him. Um, non-Liverpool team you want to see succeed um, Spurs because Conte I always want to see Arsenal do well there's some idea that I don't like Arsenal but I do my uncle George may he rest in peace was a huge Arsenal fan and uh, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for them and Brighton, I always want to see Brighton do well because I used to live in Brighton. I was a season ticket holder, so I like to see Brighton do well. I want to see Palace do well because I like bravery in the transfer market and I like their approach. I want to see Forrest do well because I really like Steve Cooper and I think it's great to have Forrest back in the top flight. And last one I would give you is... Brentford, because I just think they're smart and I like seeing smart clubs do well. And finally, rank your favourite, rank the West Wing cast in order. He's watching it at the minute and his favourite is Leo. Right, let's, it's, my first is Toby Ziegler. Always. Toby Ziegler is my favourite character in the West Wing um, I'm a huge, huge fan of Richard Schiff. So Toby won. Uh, I think Bartlett too. Love Martin Sheen. I think Bartlett too. Leo McGarry three. Sam Seaborn four. Josh Lynham five. Charlie Young six. Donna Moss, seven. CJ Craig, eight. Abby Bartlett, 
couldn't really stand her, to be honest. Uh, nine. And Will Bailey, when he came into it, would be would be ten. And then, obviously, look, there was Matt Santos came into it, but he's only in the last two seasons. And Arnold Vinnick is very good. I really enjoyed Arnold Vinnick in it. If we're including him, he's probably quite high up. I, yeah, I'm happy with my with my top five. I, I think they're the five kind of power players in it, really. Sam, obviously, do you know what? I'll, I'll no, I'll go Charlie Young four. So Toby, Bartlett, McGarry, Charlie, then Josh Lynham, and then Sam Seaborn because he did leave after four seasons. Um, but yeah, that's that would be it. But yeah, I didn't really like CJ Craig. Uh, I I love I love Alice and Janney. It's not her. I just there was just parts of the way the character was written, which is unusual for um, which is unusual for uh, I can't think of the fella's name that wrote Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Um, I just, I don't know, there was something about C.J. Craig's character that I didn't really like. But yeah, they, they'd be my, of the main characters, uh, Will Bailey is definitely right down at the bottom. And, and again, I like I do like Joshua Molina. I think it's because he replaced, um, he replaced Sam. But I will say, he did have some great scenes with Toby Ziegler. The one where he goes in and shows Toby an ad, but it's more Toby's reaction that is the key. And for me, all my favorite scenes involve Toby Ziegler. I, I just think he's the best character in the show. And I think Richard Schiff is the best actor in the show. And then Martin Sheen will be second. Um, Leo McGarry was great, though. Like Leo McGarry, John Spencer was absolutely outstanding as Leo McGarry and uh, unfortunately it's just a shame that he passed away especially so young only 58 but yeah that'd be my top five I'll give you my my top five as long as you know that Toby Ziegler is number one good to take a quick break then and when we come back we'll have the gossip and whatever other news there is to wrap up so I'll see you in a second Right, welcome back. So uh, it looks like Raheem Sterling is on the move, heading for Chelsea. Fee not fully agreed yet, but David Ornstein reporting that personal terms have been agreed. He was granted permission to speak to Chelsea, and he is very, very keen on the deal. Southampton doing bits. Got Romeo Lavia across the line. Now about to add Joe Aribo from Rangers. I really like this signing. And what this might allow them to do is play Ward-Prowse a bit further forward. So Ward-Prowse could play that right-sided number 10 role who drops out to the right side of midfield out of possession and you get him more in the final third. And now you've got Aribo, Romeo, Lavia and Diallo as your four in central midfield. I, I think that's really smart business. 
six million plus add-ons. That's a really good deal. That's a really, really good deal. So, yeah, credit to uh, Southampton getting good business done. Still got to find that striker, though. Um, if you get get Aribo, all you need now is a striker. That's pretty much you covered for the summer. Um, Newcastle apparently showed some interest in, Aaron, in Anthony Gordon, but Everton have no interest in selling. Uh, Ornstein is reporting that Nottingham Forest working to sign two wingbacks. Nico Williams for the right and Omar Richards to the left. I like the, the Richards one. He wasn't someone I'd considered for them. Bringing him back to the UK from Bayern Munich, it's a very good signing. Uh, Nico Williams is okay, but 16 million is a lot of money for Nico Williams. A lot of money for Nico Williams. Um, Stephen Bergwijn is leaving Spurs. He is away to Ajax. Seems to have turned down other moves to make that one happen for himself. Um, this one surprised me a bit. Bubakari Samari is about to be loaned out by Leicester to Monaco. He didn't have a great season last year, but I'd put more of that on Rodgers than on him. And now Leicester are going to be short in midfield. Now, they are being linked with Harry Winks, but they're losing Telemans in all likelihood. So they would need Winks to come in anyway. Winks is a very Rogers signing. You can smell Brendan Rogers' little fingerprints all over that. Uh, wouldn't be a fan of what Leicester are doing this summer, to be honest. I uh, haven't seen any good positive links to players that make sense to improve them or fill needs. And uh, I think if you're going from Telemans to Winks, that's a significant downgrade. And if you're losing Samare and you're selling Dennis Pryat, You've got no depth. You know, I know you've got Chowdhury, but he's a spot starter at best. I don't understand what, what Leicester are doing. Um, Clement Langley to Tottenham on loan is done. Don't like that move for Spurs. Uh, let's see. 10 million euro will be the fee for that Omar Richards deal, according to John Percy in the Telegraph. Williams' fee nearer to 17 million in total. 17 million pounds. Oh, that's a lot. That's a lot of money for Nico Williams. I assume it includes add ons, but it's a lot of money. But if you're getting Omar Richards for around 10 million euro, which is about 8 million pounds, 25 million between the two, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. We'll, we'll take that. Um, Surprising news from the championship. Carlos Corboran has resigned as manager of Huddersfield Town. He has uh, confirmed it on his own Twitter account as well. He did a great job there last year. Took them to the brink of the Premier League. Missed out in the playoff final by on an own goal as well. Um, I, I assume he's had options to go somewhere else. That That's the only thing I can assume is that he has an option to go somewhere else. Uh, he's a very, very promising young manager. So keep an eye on him. Uh, what else do we have today? Da, da, da. Christian Eriksen's deal to Manchester United should be confirmed before the weekend. Three-year contract. Man City are preparing to offer Riyad Mahrez a new contract. 
Uh, I'm not sure why you'd sell Sterling and give Maras a new contract rather than sell Maras and give Sterling a new contract. But, you know, City are doing what they want to do. Um, Sterling fee should be around 45 million plus add-ons. Good deal for all parties. Andreas Pereira should complete his move to Fulham today. Fulham also been linked with Issa Diop, which I, I do quite like that one, to be honest. Uh, we'll hit the gossip and we'll get done for the day. We've got two days worth of gossip to catch up on. Chelsea hope to complete the signing of one of their two defensive targets this week with negotiations ongoing for Matthias De Ligt and Nathan Aki. Those two things are not the same. Bayern Munich have reached a verbal agreement with De Ligt and a blow to Chelsea's hopes. It's very clear that would be his preference. That's where he wanted to go originally when he was leaving Ajax, but Bayern at, the, at that point couldn't put the money together. If they can do it now, uh, that's going to be a great signing for Bayern. Uh, he'll develop better at Bayern as well. I'm not sure Bayern need him because they've got Upa Meccano, they've got Lucas Hernandez, they've got Nianzu, they've got Pavard. But look, he's he's really good. Um he hasn't kicked on the way you would have hoped. He has stagnated at Juve. I think it's a stupid move by Juve, but if he can't, if he won't sign a new contract, then I can understand them selling him. But if they're selling him, having let Romero and uh, Demerel go in the last week, I just think that's like they signed the three of them in one summer, and that should have been their back, their back line sorted for 10, 12 years, and they're going to be without any of them. After three years, it's just silly. It's just silly. Uh, Christophe Galtier wants, says he wants Neymar to stay at the club. We'll wait and see if that's true. Tottenham are still keen to sign Pau Torres. They should be. Um, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. You just make Langley the backup in the middle. Uh, Ajax have offered you know, Ajax Bergwijn. That's done. Fulham are close to Manor Solomon. Uh, Chelsea and England winger Callum Hudson-Odoi and Anthony Gordon of New of Everton are both of interest in Newcastle. Brentford are expected to confirm the signing of Aaron Hickey this week. Uh, Forrest and Omar Richards, Southampton and Joe Arebo. Uh, Leicester have opened discussions with Feyenoord over Erkan Koku. Now, that is one I do like. He's very, very good. I'd much rather have him than, than Harry Winks, personally. And if they're selling Telemans, that's a near-perfect replacement. Uh, Everton have inquired about the, the availability. I saw this yes, The availability of Amanda Broya as a replacement for Richarlison. Richarlison played left wing. Not playing Broya on the left wing. Former Tottenham manager Mitsu Pochettino was eyeing a move to the Premier League. I went through some potential landing spots for him on Tuesday, if you want to go back and listen to that. Uh, Bournemouth wants to take Matt Phillips on loan. Just buy him. Just please, just buy him. Italy midfielder Jorginho's contract with Chelsea runs out in 2023, and the 30-year-old's agent says talks for a renewal are set to take place in September. I wouldn't be surprised if he was sold because they are today been linked with Frankie De Jong, and uh, it would make sense to bring in Frankie and move him on. Arsenal are confident of beating Manchester United at the signing of Yuri Tielemans. United have made a bit of 51 million for Anthony, but the Dutch club are holding it for 68 million pounds for Anthony. Like that's a 35 million pound footballer all day long at 22. 
not exactly lit the Eredivisie on fire. If you pay 51 million is far too much. If you pay 68 million, you should all be arrested. Uh, Manchester United do still not know, still do not know when Cristiano Ronaldo will return to training. Uh, he is still absent without leave. Bayern Munich director Oliver Kahn says a move for Ronaldo would not fit with the German club's philosophy, that philosophy being smart. Uh, Chelsea are preparing a bid for Matthias Nunes. I doubt it. But he's very, very good. Uh, Barcelona are considering Nicolas Tagliafico in case they cannot sign Marcus Alonso. I'd much rather have Tagliafico anyway. Uh, Everton are set to offer Anthony Gordon a new contract. Toffees have no intention of selling Dominic Calvert-Lewin. We'll see what happens if an offer lands on the table. Arsenal are looking to sell seven players, including Nicolas Pepe and Bern Leno. Rumours that Leno could be heading to Fulham. That's actually the next one here. Uh, Leeds have urged Barcelona to make a final offer for Rafinha this week as they want the Brazilian forwards future resolved as soon as possible. I, as Like I said earlier, I think the best thing for all parties might be he stays one more year. Leeds will get a slightly lower fee, but at least they'll get Rafinha for a year. Um, Crystal Palace are hoping to beat Everton and Nottingham Forest to the signing of Morgan Gibbs-White. He doesn't really make sense for Everton. He makes a ton of sense for Palace to replace Gallagher. He makes a ton of sense for Forrest to replace Zinkernagel. I just don't see where he fits at Everton. Um, Palace are in talks to sign Swansea's English midfielder Flynn Downs for eight million. I like Flynn Downs. Um, I liked him at Ipswich. I think he's done really well at Swansea. Uh, West Ham apparently also in the mix for him. Tottenham are closing in on the £15 million signing of Jed Spence. We've been hearing this now for weeks, so we'll wait and see. Uh, Omar Richards and Nico Williams. Southampton are also interested in Williams. I just don't think they are. I just don't think they are. They've got four good fullbacks. They don't need another one. At right back, they've got Walker Peters and Livermento when he comes back from injury. He'll be the starter. At left back, they've got Perot and Thierry Small. And Walker Peters can play across there. They don't need Nico Williams at all. Club Bru- uh, Club Rouge have rejected a bid from Leeds for Charles de Catelier, who would prefer a move to AC Milan. Um, it'll come down to who offers more, and Leeds will probably offer more. Jesse Lingard is set to fly to the United States to hold talks with two major league soccer sides following his release by Manchester United last month. This tells you all you need to know about Jesse Linger. 29 years of age, gone off to MLS. Because he doesn't care about football, he cares about money and lifestyle. And that's fair play. If that's what he wants to do, that's fine. But if you're a Premier League club offering him a load of money, give your head a wobble and take that contract off the table. Uh, Zlatan has agreed to take a wage cut to sign a new one-year deal with, in, with AC Milan. And finally, England's players will receive a 55000 bonus per player if they win the Women's European Championships, uh, which is really good. And I'm sure that's uh, a sizable amount of money for in the women's game. But considering the crowds that these ladies are drawing to their games, I think that should be a little bit more. Personally, I think that should be a little bit more. Um, England played Austria last night in front of 68,000 people at Old Trafford. 
a 1-0 win for England in that game. If you didn't see it, uh, tonight, Norway take on Northern Ireland. Uh, is that it? Yeah, Norway-Northern Ireland is the one game tonight. Tomorrow night, it's Spain-Finland, Germany-Denmark. Then Saturday night is Portugal versus Switzerland, Netherlands versus Sweden. And Sunday is Belgium, Iceland, and France against Italy. Um, yeah, really good. Give it a watch. I guarantee you, you will enjoy it. Don't expect it to be high-caliber men's football. Just expect it to be a game of football, and I guarantee you'll enjoy it. And that will do me for today, folks. I will speak to you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.